proceeding from the great commission given by Jesus to make disciples of all nations, the early church exploded and countless souls were made new by the atoning work of Christ. Dead hearts were made alive and churches sprouted up throughout the world. As a need for clear and concise biblical interpretation arose, the reformed confessions of the faith were written and still have a major impact on the church today. The confessional collective desires to see healthy, theologically sound churches planted and on mission for the kingdom of Christ. Welcome to the Confessional Collective. Welcome to the Confessional Collective, where truth meets mission. My name is Aaron Carr, and I'm joined, as always, by my confessional colleague, Chris Santola. Chris, say hello to everybody. Hey, guys. How's everybody doing? This is a very exciting podcast. We're going to talk about, I know my passion, as well as yours, Chris, is preaching, um, something that I've enjoyed um, and been blessed to be part of for well over 20 years. Um, In fact, in our church, we actually... Um, As you know, we have residents and interns, and every year we do a uh, preaching lab where we specifically come together as part of our course curriculum that we work with these guys, and we we study preaching and and talk about it and uh, develop sermons, and then these gentlemen go out. It's something we do every summer with these men, and I'm excited about this upcoming uh, preaching cohort, preaching lab, whatever you want to call it. And I just want us to kind of saturate on the idea of preaching today. And I think there's all different ways we could start this podcast. We could start with all the bad preaching that's out there. We could talk about <laughs> who our favorite preachers are. Um, but I, we're the confessional collective, so it makes sense that we would start with the confessions, the creeds. Um, I'm going to go directly to the Westminster Directory of Public Worship. And there is, a, there is a section specifically on preaching. So I'm just going to read the very first paragraph. It says, Preaching of the word, being the power of God unto salvation, and one of the greatest and most excellent works belonging to the ministry of the gospel, should be so performed that the workman need not be ashamed, but may save himself and those who hear him. So Mm. a very clear purpose for preaching. (laughs) Uh, A a call, a high standard uh, to show himself approved, handling the word of God, preparing. I think there's a lot to talk about in study and preparation, uh, preparing and delivery. Um, There's a lot we could talk about, hermeneutics, uh, um, homiletics. But I want to direct our, kind of gather our thoughts for a moment and just talk um, at some early stages. Now, I went to a seminary, and in seminary we had a preaching lab. And in those preaching labs, you were expected to read certain books. And I know that there are some old classics on preaching. One of the old classics is by R.L. Dabney on preaching, Lectures on Sacred Rhetoric. And this is one of those that has stood the test of time. And so if you're not familiar with that, that might be one that you might want to pick up. Another one that has also stood the test of time is called On the Preparation and Delivery of Sermons by J.A. Broadus. Uh, this was actually a textbook we used when I was in seminary, and it forced us to really think through the text, the subject, um, you know, kind of walking through the various uh, parts of, of sermon preparation. And so I would send that as a second book that um, needs to be a, um, 
at least laid down as a historic past book that uh, should be considered as people are looking at preaching. But Chris, I'm going to let you throw out for a minute some books that you would say have been beneficial in your own development of preaching. Well, I think uh, to begin with, uh, you know, the, the, the modern classic that everybody goes to is going to be uh, Brian Chappell's Chapels. Chapel. We're going to make Brian. you a Presbyterian yet, but it's Brian Chapel. Brian Chappelle's book, <laughs> uh, Christ Centered Preaching. Um, really, really good. Great stuff there. Um, you know, there, there's been another of others. I recently read a book called The Word Centered Church, it was really good. Um, and then, you know, it's interesting because there's actually been a number of lectures I've heard over the years that really. Uh, massively impacted me when it came to my understanding of preaching and what it is and uh, and what what is going on in the preaching of a sermon and all of that. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I remember years ago there was one by, uh, of all people, uh, Alistair Begg, who I've got to love his, his accent. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he had a sermon called The Power of the Gospel hmm. and, and a second one that was called Confronting the World. And Man, I over the like last 15 years, I've probably listened to those two sermons dozens of times and uh, just so good on the matter of, of preaching and what it is that we are called to do in preaching. Sure. I think we would be remiss if we didn't mention uh, a lot of people's favorite, The Supremacy of God in Preaching by J uh, John Piper, mm. um, as well as uh, Biblical Preaching by Haddon Robinson, which is big idea preaching, basically making sure you have one clear big idea. Um, this is a textbook that we use a portion of um, the idea of uh, big idea development. And so we use that and have a lot of the guys come through and, and work through that. But you mentioned uh, Brian Chapel, and I think one of the benefits that I look at that book has really benefited me personally is the last part of that book, which deals with what I call the, or is listed as the falling condition focus, the FCF. And what I see in there is how to protect against our sermons falling into moralism. Mm. And I find, so uh, that book itself has been um, kind of legendary in, in its standing on, on, on to how to make sure that it we're preaching gospel centered sermons. Um, We've already named off a ton of books, right? We've already we've already thrown out uh, uh, a enough to list. keep our listeners busy for a while. <laughs> <laughs> and so, if you haven't heard of any of those, those those are some books that you should at least consider. Um, every one of them has impacted me in a in a unique way. There are little pamphlets on preaching. I got in front of me the Simplicity in Preaching by J.C. Ryle, um, and we're, I'm, we're talking how many pages is this? 20, 22 pages. I mean, little itty bitty book on the simplicity of preaching. If that's something that you're even interested in, um, just as a as a listener in in a in a in a in a worship service, I think that has uh, benefit to you. Another one is what is biblical preaching by Eric Alexander. Again, another little pamphlet. Uh, that kind of walks through the importance of preaching. I think that was like 31 pages. So just to give you an idea that there are all types of resources out there on preaching, but I want to zero in specifically first and foremost on the call to preach. And as we begin to work through some of these textbooks that we have at our fingertips right now, I know we'd be remiss if we didn't start with the Bible. 
So let's start there. And Chris, why don't you take our listeners through at least the mandate or the uh, the importance from a biblical perspective for the role of preaching in the church? Because let's be honest, people today are starting to question, does monologue really, is that necessary? Is that is that important? So I'm going to let you go for it. Yeah, I think the first place we're going to go is one that's probably very obvious to a, a lot of our listeners, and that is over to 2 Timothy 4, verse 2, where Paul gives this exhortation to this young pastor, Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. And it goes on from there, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, enduring suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So we've got this weighty charge given to Timothy, and the first thing on the list is preach the word. And so uh, I think just to begin for us today, there, right there at the beginning is the priority, the, the, the primacy of preaching in pastoral ministry. Now, one other place that I like to go when we talk about preaching, Aaron, is over to, uh, to Ezra, uh, excuse me, not Ezra, it's about Ezra, Nehemiah chapter 8, where uh, there, you know, the, the people have been rebuilding the city and they realize basically we don't have the word of God. We've lost God's word. And they go and gather together at the beginning of chapter eight, verse one, it says, it says, as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law that, uh, of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. And so Ezra brings forth the law before the assembly and gets up, it says, verse 4, uh, into, uh, on, onto a platform. So you've got the, the pulpit present there in that passage. And it says, from early morning until noon, reads the word of God to the people. And, uh, you know, and you find later on in the chapter that people are cut to the heart. They're worshiping. Um, and so you have the word of God brought before the people, but there, even the people recognized, you know, we, we want to hear the word of the Lord. And so, you know, you have this call to Ezra to bring the book. And so, you know, to me, I find that, uh, especially, uh, in our day, such a powerful charge as pastors for us to, to bring the word of God before the people of God and to proclaim it over the people of God. Yeah, I mean, when we're told, I mean, the world's going to think it's foolishness, but it is the power of God for, for that, he, that he promises to use for the salvation of the soul. And it's, and it's an amazing thing as, uh, as, as a preacher to understand we are a conduit of, of, of God's ministry yeah. to his people. Um, and, and there's a there's a great calling there in knowing that um, I need to be prepared as I come into this pulpit. And we've already named a series of books. We could we could keep going, and we will. We're going to keep bringing out other books that that have <laughs> that have ministered to us 
in this preparation, but we do not ever want to minimize the understanding that the role of preaching has in the church, the responsibility of the preacher and the preaching of the word of God, that that we are taking uh, the word into our hands and we are declaring it out, but it is the spirit's job to apply it, to to convict, to to soften hard hearts, to encourage, to strengthen, to 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 uh, to teach. This is what the Spirit does as, as He takes that word and applies it uh, uh, to those in the pews, and hopefully yeah. has done to the preacher prior to getting Absolutely. into that pulpit. <laughs> which, Absolutely. Which draws me to an interesting point. One of my all-time favorite books on preaching is by H.B. Charles, okay? H.B. Charles wrote a book called On Preaching, and it's interesting. In that book, he tells of his own story. He started preaching at 11 years old. 11. I can't imagine that because I just think about where I was at 11 years old. And he tells the story that when he entered the pulpit at 11 years old, he prayed before he preached. Now, he had never seen that done. And he, and he again, he says in the book, I'm not bashing any of the pastors I stood under. In fact, his own pa- uh, father was his pastor. He says, I'm not saying they did it wrong, but I knew my dependence was upon the Holy Spirit to do this thing. And at such a young age to understand that. And in his book on preaching, he explains the importance of prayer throughout the whole preparation and delivery of the sermon. And and one of the things he says in this book on preaching, he says, think yourself empty, read yourself full, write yourself clear, and pray yourself hot. I love that. Yeah. Think yourself mm. empty, read yourself <laughs> full, write yourself clear, and pray yourself hot. And I think those are the elements, thinking, reading, writing, and praying, that you're constantly doing if you're going to be a preacher of God's word. And I can't commend that book enough to uh, to our listeners. Is If you have not read H.B. Charles on preaching, please, please pick it up. And it is a, it is, it is a book that will bless you. And I just want to make sure that that uh, we make sure that the priority in preaching is prayer. So right. that that's yeah. why I want to push that button. Yeah, I think that is excellent. And man, that is such a needed reminder because look, the reality is, uh, I think a lot of us as pastors, man, we love to study. You know, we get in there and we're all about exegesis and getting into the passage. At least I hope we are. Uh, I I don't want to assume too much, but I'm thinking, yeah, we we love getting down into that. But then uh, oftentimes there is this neglect of prayer. And what it really ends up revealing is is that there's a lack of dependence upon the Holy Spirit that somehow, even though we we would never say this, but somehow we we believe that we're accomplishing uh, God's work through our own abilities. And rather than coming with this humble dependence of, Lord, I can't do anything from this pulpit if your spirit does not empower me and bring forth your word in power from this pulpit today upon your people and to your people. Uh, So I think that is such a huge needed reminder. And just to remember that, you know, God has promised to bless the preaching of his word. Hmm. 
It, you know, it's it's funny. Still under this category, we're not even into preparation yet, right? We're not even mm-hmm. even what we're supposed to be doing. But we're just under the idea of submitting in prayer. And if you think about that, this idea of submitting is a big role when it comes to the Word of God. There is another book by Christopher Ashe called The Priority of Preaching. Another little book, easy read, uh, maybe 122 pages, 123 pages for you to, to consume. One of the major points he makes in this book is the submission of the word, that we come under the submission of the word. As a preacher, I'm not taking the text where I want it to go, but I'm submitting myself under the word. But he also hits up to the listener, those in the congregation, that you're submitting under the word right that 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 you're that as you've already read the text you know we're 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 gonna live in a day and age where people are going to have their ears tickled <laughs> right yeah. we're gonna live in a day and age but are we willing to submit under the authority of the word can't beat this down enough cannot keep beating this point that prayer and submission to the word are foundational to preaching because the danger is we end up taking the text where we want to go and we're making the text submit to us. Yeah. And that will save no one. All yeah, that will do I, is add bondage. Yeah. I, you know, the, the matter of eisegesis can be a big deal, especially when we want to contextualize to, you know, to our culture, to, to what's going on, you know, in our day. Uh, but contextualizing is never bending the scripture to to fit our whims and desires and what we want to say or what we think needs to be said. Contextualizing is taking the scripture as it is and revealing how it is relevant. And too often I've seen cases where uh, there is way too much imposition upon the text and, you know, you, anybody who's paying any kind of attention should be able to look at the passage and listen to what's being said and go, uh, where are you getting this out of this text? Um, you know, I, I, sometimes you hear people say, well, isn't it amazing what he got out of that? And you shouldn't always assume that that's a good thing. Uh, you know, it, it, sometimes what it really is indicating is that uh, rather than preaching the word, the the preacher has decided that he's got a message he wants to share and he's going to try to find something to back it up and yeah. try and find some kind of a launching point for what he wants to say. And I think that's a very dangerous thing to do, uh, is, especially if it continues on. So and what it ultimately evidences, as you were saying, is a a, a, a lack of our understanding that we, even as preachers, come under the word, yeah. you know, that, you know, to come in is to listen to a sermon is not merely an intellectual exercise, but that you are sitting under the preaching of God's word. It, but first and foremost, the pastor, the preacher has to recognize I am con- coming under submission to the word. And the listener, too. And, and that's the whole makeup. I mean, you think about most Bible studies, it always comes back to what does this mean to you? I don't care what this means to you. <laughs> I want to know what the oh. Word of God says. I'm coming under submission to that. Listen to Christopher Ash. He makes this statement. He says, we need preaching with authority that we may listen submissively. This is countercultural. 
We need preaching with authority that we may listen submissively. This is countercultural. I, I think that is so true. But most preachers cannot come with that kind of authority because they themselves are unsure because they're not. They haven't done the the homework yeah. to know for sure what the text says that they can command what the scripture commands. And and I think that we need to submit to Scripture, study Scripture, exegete Scripture, and preach Scripture. And when we do that, we can call people to submit to Scripture, not to us, not to our preferences, not to our perspectives, not to our exegetical thoughts, but to Scripture. And I yeah. think that's the foundation as we set and prepare and look at a text and as we begin to wrestle with that text this week that we're going to be preaching, we're praying and we're submitting to the authority of God's word. And I think yeah. we've got to start there. We've yep. got to and start just there. Just to, to, to give you a quote also from uh, Chappell, uh, he says... Chapel. 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 I'm going to get Chapel. you to say it right. Chappell, Chapel. Chapel. Okay, I'll get it eventually. Uh, he says this. <laughs> Scripture's portrayal of its own potency challenges us to always remember that the word preached rather than the preaching of the word accomplishes heaven's purposes. Uh, and I take him to mean this, that it, it's not in our ingenuity uh, and our presentation as we preach the word, but rather it is in the word preached. It is the word of God itself that contains that power of God. As Paul says in Romans 1, you know, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Uh, that that it's not about our abilities. And again, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he would say, you know, I didn't come to you with plausible words of wisdom, etc. Why? Lest I empty the, the word, lest, lest I empty the gospel of its power, lest I empty the cross of its power, that that message, the word of God in and of itself is potent, that it is sufficient, that it is, it, it contains within it the power of God and uh, that we need to remember that and let the word do its work. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's keep moving now in the process. So a person's praying, they're working through the exegesis. There's there's a, another foundational uh, uh, kind of important aspect here to the preaching, and I think it's it's spoken and drawn out in why Johnny can't preach. If you're not familiar with T. Dave, uh, T. David Gordon's book, Why Johnny Can't Preach, he he gives a list of reasons why preaching today sucks. Okay, <laughs> and, and and two of those that I just want to hit on. There's there's a he kind of does a great job in in how how um what the what the reasons are. But he says number one, Johnny can't read, and number two, Johnny can't write, and and I think he's spot on on this that preachers don't read today. And so therefore, because they don't read, they don't have the ability to formulate their thoughts. They don't understand what it is to, to work things out. Because when you, when you read and write, you're forced to really think about what it is you're trying to communicate. And as you read, you see how other people do that. And you see their style. You see their delivery. You learn yep. that. And as you write, you learn how to do that. And I think 
A lot of preachers have no ability to read and no ability to write. And that's a shame. And then they walk into the pulpit and they bring this inadequacy, this lack of ability of reading and writing, and it shows in the preaching. So not only do we want to submit to the word, not only do we want to be praying, we want to be readers and writers because that is going to craft us into being the the communicators that we need to be. Because again, I want to go back to the Westminster Directory of Public Worship. What did it say? Preaching of the word, being the power of God unto salvation and one of the greatest and most excellent works belonging to the ministry of the gospel. Preaching is one of the greatest works you're going to have to do in the ministry of the gospel. It should be so performed that the workman need not be ashamed, but may save himself and those who hear him. This idea that we don't want to be ashamed. I don't want to go in with my head down knowing I haven't prepared. But preparing is more than just Monday through Saturday. Preparing is lifelong. I'm reading, I'm studying, I'm working on my skills to be a communicator. And that is in reading and writing. And I, and I just think, man, Johnny Can't Preach, T. Uh, David Gordon nails that. So again, another book that, that I think is foundational to the development of the preacher. And uh, I want to just keep stepping in here. As one begins to wrestle with that text, uh, as uh, John Stott's book kind of points out, between two worlds. The preacher has to have a foot in the world and he also has to have a foot in the biblical text of the day. Mm -hmm. And you're trying to bring those two worlds together. And I think that's where a lot of guys are saying, hey, I want to be culturally relevant. I want to make sure my illustrations are there. And they spend a lot of time on illustrations. And I'm not saying illustrations aren't important, but we also need to make sure that we're driving all of that from the text and not just trying to, hey, I got a good illustration. How can I use it? Where can I find a text that I can apply it to? Right. That's that's dangerous. That's dangerous. So I, I've been kind of on a, on a tyrant over here, but I'm going to let you speak a little bit to, to all what I've been saying. No, no. Hey, I love this because, you know, it's obvious you're very passionate about preaching. I'm very passionate about preaching. This stuff gets me exercised. And so uh, I, I love getting into this particular subject. And again, I would agree very much with uh, with what it says there, what you just read from Johnny can't preach of being able to read, being able to write, um, putting in that time to study. Frankly, I think a lot of pastors today, uh, who have the responsibility of weekly preaching, allow themselves to become overwhelmed with other tasks and other duties. Uh, and they're frankly, their elder boards allow them to become overwhelmed with these things to where they're so, uh, busy with all this other stuff that suddenly it's like, okay, well, you know, I've got a couple hours to, to throw together a sermon for Sunday. And it's, there's, you know, no time for, you know, preparation there. There's no time to really get into something. And I think when we continue to allow that to become a pattern, you're definitely in a dangerous place. Uh, you know, one of the things that I kind of picked up early on is I'm going to devote a large amount of my time to preparation. Uh, I am going to be reading. I'm going to be in commentaries. I'm going to be in the scripture. I'm going to be going all over the place. And particularly, I don't know about you, I manuscript my sermons. I'm not dogmatic about that. Uh, some guys are great with outlines, bullet points. That's, that's fine. Uh, I like to manuscript. I like to think through my, my sermon. I'll usually go back through it and follow my 
train of thought through it. Okay, is this cohesive that this all comes together? I get to the main point. I'm touching on everything I want to touch on. Um, I've laid forth my argument from the text. Uh, I've dealt with opposing viewpoints and why I don't believe those are correct and then uh, made a case for what I'm trying to say from this passage. Uh, You know, all of that goes into it. And you know, one of the pe- reasons people say, well, why do you manuscript? Because I like to even think through how I am going to say something and, you know, and make sure that that's there. Now, I still will, you know, uh, allow room that the Spirit of God's going to lead me to say things that aren't in my manuscript, but it's always there for me to come back to. I like to put that together. I usually have about 14 typed pages Uh, You know, and I break it down into like one sentence kind of thoughts, uh, you know, spaced apart as it goes through. Um, So I'm not reading from one giant paragraph. I would totally get lost. Uh, But that's just my style of doing it. That's just me. Um, And I've got about 14 pages typically around there of notes to go through a sermon. Listen, that takes time. Um, Just the the writing. And I was going to say, and and that time that they need to commit, the problem is, most pastors are all busy putting out fires and they're in emergency mode. <laughs> they're not doing anything to pre, uh, pre-counsel, as I call it. They're just out there counseling, running around, putting out fires everywhere. But preaching allows you to saturate the ground so that you have less fires to put out. There's yes, nothing more important absolutely. you can be doing than preparing your sermons. And you become a better preacher as you're preparing and reading. One of the things that Gordon says in his book, he talks about, um, the, the, the importance of just reading itself. Listen to what he says here. There is a profound difference between reading information and reading texts. The former permits a disinterest from the question of how the matter is composed. Its interest is only in content. And then if you jump over, um, he says this, he says, talking about the way people read, he says, their reading does not stimulate them to rethink anything. And since the text doesn't stimulate them particularly, but serves merely as a reminder of the things they already know, their sermon is not particularly stimulating to the hearers. And he's yep. basically saying, we live in a world where I'm just, I'm so busy. I don't have time to prepare. I'm not reading anything. And so when I go to look at the text, I'm just looking for quick facts. So, and I'm just teaching doctrine I already know. I'm not really growing myself and I'm not really causing my listeners to really challenge and rethink things that uh, presuppositions they already have. And this is the danger of the world we live in. With every uh, advance in technology, there's also a cost. No longer do people write letters to one another. No longer is there correspondence between theologians that takes time through snail mail. Everybody can instantaneously tweet back and forth uh, comments and there's no thought and it's not even listening. It's, there's no wrestling with, with the meaning or rethinking anything. And I think he's on to something that we need to slow down, get ahead in our ministry, wrestle with the clarity of what we're trying to communicate and allow that to uh, marinate in us. And that comes yeah. from being well-versed in reading and writing and thinking and rethinking and communicating. And I just I think that's really foundational. So again, what we've been communicating is you need to be praying, you need to come under the submission of the word, and you need to be a reader and a writer. And if you're not doing that now, preacher, please start writing. One of the things you said, uh, Chris, was in your own preparation, you don't take... um, 
a, uh, a manuscript into the pulpit. Some men do, some men don't. Uh, no, I do sem- take a manuscript. Oh, you do, you do take a I manuscript. I do take a manuscript. <laughs> yeah. My, I remember when I was reading H.B. Uh, Charles, his argument is write everything out word for word because it's going to force you to think through what you're trying to say, but don't take that into the pulpit. He says take a, 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 a less version, a, a more summarized version into the mm-hmm. pulpit. But the point is write it out. I don't know very many preachers that sit down and write out every thought. Uh, most of them just preach from a quick outline, and the outline is all they have, um, and they finish that on Wednesday or Thursday maybe. Or maybe they, they've been putting out fires all week, and they finished it at midnight on Saturday, on Saturday, Saturday night <laughs> or early Sunday morning, and um, they're just quickly taking that into the pulpit. And there's no time for that to marinate, whereas, like you said, when you're writing these things out, you're able to have still a clear big idea of what each point is about right but that that comes from learning how to write how to wrestle how to think and uh i just think this is an important part of of preaching and make no doubt about it it shows in your preaching Uh, (laughs) it does it it, it shows in preaching um no question about it and And let me say this let me say this chris and i both would attest we are not good preachers (laughs) We still have a long way to go. Why do I know about all these books? I know about all these books because I'm reading to become a better preacher. And that's that's why I've learned such dependency on the spirit because I'm always getting out of the pulpit going, oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We are desperate for your work, Holy Spirit. Uh, It's, uh, you know, but in someone just along the thought of what we were just saying, someone once told me this, that the, the preaching of the word ought to be a picture of the minister breathing in from the word of God, internalizing that and breathing out to his congregation. Uh, it's not simply an impartation of information. It is not a lecture. Uh, it is a sermon. And the difference, as I've said before, between a lecture and a sermon is while both convey information, both present argumentation, uh, both may deal with uh, false viewpoints. The ultimate goal of a sermon is not merely the changing of a mind, but it is to incite, to ignite worship. Ooh. And that's what we've got to see as the ultimate goal of our preaching, is that the, the Spirit of God might bring it forth with power upon the church of God, that they might be moved to a greater affection, to a greater adoration, that they might be affected by that word to a greater love and worship of Christ. Amen. Dennis E. Johnson in his book, uh, Him We Proclaim, says just that. He says, we long to preach the whole Bible as Christian scripture. That is to preach Christ in all of scripture. And I think that's one of the major differences between reform preaching and um, preaching by other camps. Reform preachers understand the centerpiece of what I'm communicating is Christ. The Spirit glorifies Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit wants to magnify the, the person and work of Jesus Christ. So if we're preaching, the goal of the Spirit is to magnify the person and work of Christ. Our preaching needs to be focused on him. But I want to come back to Brian Chapel, the Christ-centered preaching. That third part of the book, in my opinion, is worth the whole price of the book, young preacher. Take time, 
buy it and read it. That falling condition focus that in every text I can look at that and say, how do we not measure up and how does Christ supply and, and, and meet the need through the work of the gospel? And so ultimately I'm forced to not preach moralism. And that's my fear. So many men uh, come to the text and what they walk away with is just burdening their people more and more and more, not giving them the hope of the finished work of yeah. Jesus Christ that, that is available. That's, that's the good news of the gospel. Yeah. And we don't, me, uh, we don't, and if I can just say this, we don't want people walking away from our sermon and hearing do, 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 do. Oh, and if you don't know Jesus, that's not reformed right. gospel preaching. No, no. And, you know, again, to quote Chapel here, uh, Chapel, I can't even do it. I'm never going to get it. Anyway, Chapel, Chapel, Chapel. I, I did get it. Okay. <laughs> See, I'm second guessing myself now. He said this, the glory of preaching is not to strong arm people into doing what they don't want to do, but to have such love in them arise that they want to do and are able to do what God delights in. Mm. And so, you know, this is one of the things I always come back to is the, the centrality of the gospel in preaching, that you're not just up there giving them challenge. Someone once says, challenge like law is good, but it is weak. It doesn't have power. And if you look at the way the letters of the New Testament are laid out structurally, uh, as it's been said, the indicative always precedes the imperative. Uh, Who Christ is and what he has done always precedes and empowers anything that we are called to do. Uh, You can look at the book of Romans. It's structured that way, you know, right up to what is it? Chapter 13, therefore. Uh, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, you know, holy and pleasing unto God. You, you've got it in Ephesians, all of this, who Christ is and what he has done and who he has made you in Christ and all of this. And then after that, how now do we respond to that? How do we live in response to that? It's all gospel empowered. And when you miss that and you skip right over that and you just start getting down to, you need to do this and do this and do this and be this and etc., that that's when now you're not preaching gospel anymore. You're just preaching law. You're you're preaching moralism. And we we have to make sure that Christ and the gospel, that the cross stays at the center, the beginning, and ultimately the ending of everything in our preaching. And that shouldn't be hard to do if you're if 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 we're if we're reformed in our understanding of the text, we say Genesis to Revelation is about Jesus. And so therefore, when we come to every aspect, we look through the lens of the covenant and we're able to communicate that message. The The Reformed preacher should be able to do this well, but the reality is we all struggle with it. We all end up preaching those horrible tendencies of go slay your giant, David. No, no, <laughs> no. And You're and not we need, David. <laughs> we need to understand the scripture is about Christ. Our hope is in Christ. We believe in total depravity. We understand we're marred by sin. Every aspect of who we are, no amount of education, no amount of, of, of trying harder can fix that. Only Christ can fix that. Preach Jesus. And that's the centerpiece. So again, just to review in our podcast here, pray, 
Come under submission of the word. Be a reader and a writer and make sure that Christ is the center. I think a couple of things in those steps that we have to be mindful of is that we have the tendency we're doing word studies and we're and we're studying the theological significance of of the text and we're trying to learn uh, maybe of aspects that may be uh, problem theologies that we have to work through. We we can have the tendency to want to bring all of that into the pulpit, and mm-hmm. all that does is clout Preach your the homework. Yeah, it clouts the vision. My dad was a, he worked with wood. And I remember he built all kinds of cool things. But you know what? There was a lot of sawdust on the floor we never saw. And we saw the finished product. And that's how it should be in preaching. You don't bring yeah. all your tools and, your, and, and, and all the sawdust into the pulpit. And I think we need to make sure that we're not just trying to sound smart with using our Greek and Hebrew, uh, that Mm -hmm. we're pontificating with all of our theological what ifs, but only bring those things that help present Christ more clearly. Right. Are you trying to make yourself look impressive or Christ look glorious? Mm, You know, I I mean, if you're going to bring up a Greek word or Hebrew word in in your sermon and whatever, you know, you should probably ask yourself. Is this beneficial to the people? Like, do they need to know this to understand this? Um, or am I kind of just throwing it in there to, you know, to, to throw out something that sounds kind of impressive about the passage? Um, you know, if we're getting into sentence structure, look, sometimes you might want to get into that in a sermon to help people understand the point that it's making. Uh, sometimes there's a great emphasis that, that's shown in breaking something like that down. But as you do that, you always want to make sure you do it simply and in a way that it's actually showing like, hey, here's why you need to see this, because it's helping you grasp the bigger picture of it. You don't want to just preach your homework. Like you said, you don't don't want to try and throw all the sawdust out there. Show them the finished product. Uh, and in doing that, again, I think we will also just want to be careful in our preaching that uh, as we're not preaching our homework, that we're we're getting down to one big picture in that text because sometimes there's so many details in the text that we miss the the forest for the trees. Yeah. And yeah. you know and it's possible because I'm all about verse by verse expositional preaching. But there is a way that you can do that where you become so focused on a very small portion of it that you miss the broader context that all of that fits into and kind of miss the big picture. Yeah, that's that's where I think that Haddon Robinson book, Biblical Preaching, comes in as a support, the idea of the big idea and making sure that you're coming back to that big idea. Because sometimes our sub points can end up being rabbit trails that do not help the sermon and and like you said, if you're a if you're a verse by verse person and you're doing that and you end up majoring sometimes in a minor and you got to remember how that fits within the context of the entire book or or, or that section. So you're you're nailing that. Um, one other thing I want to kind of bring before us is there's a little book called Ministering Like the Master, Stuart Olat. And in this book, uh, this was recommended by um, a couple of different preachers, one particularly that we interviewed in our um, collective a few few podcasts ago. And um, I picked it up and I started reading it. It was through uh, Ian Williamson. And I picked it up and I started reading it. It's a banner of truth book. But the three major categories of ministering like the master are, number one, our Lord was not a boring preacher. And I think we reform guys have to remember that. 
I really, really yeah. do. Our tendency is we we forget that oratory matters and the way we present ourselves. Spurgeon talks about the importance of that even in uh, lectures to my students. And we need to be mindful that that oratory matters. And I think that goes back to the idea of writing out the manuscript, thinking through word for word what we're communicating. How does that sound? Is that thought out? Um, because the more we practice that, as H.B. Charles said, I'm going to own it and I'm going to be able to go to the pulpit. And so not just thinking on my heels, I'm actually prepared coming in there. So uh, one of the major keys, again, in this book, Ministering Like the Master, is our master was not a boring preacher. Number two, uh, he was an evangelist. Uh, even, what am I trying to say? He's an uh, evangelist in his preaching. Um, and so we got to remember that he wasn't afraid to call people out and point the finger and and call people to Christ, their need of Christ. Um, I think we all have the tendency to be, we're, we're afraid to step on toes in today's society. And I'm not saying you're going out of your way just to pick on one group, because I think clearly sin affects everybody, so everybody should be equally uh, uh, called out in in your preaching. Uh, you know. And I think he talks about that well in here as you work through that. And of course, the last one, uh, the Lord was not just a preacher. And I think that's an important thing to remember that the man in the pulpit matters. Who are you? How do you live? Um, and uh, how are you ministering to that congregation? So I just think overall, there's a lot there that can help us as we're working through being a preacher and being a proclaimer of God's word that, that, that there's many different things we have to take into consideration as we're sitting down with a paper and pen or our laptops or whatever and we're working through that text. I, I think I want to encourage our, our audience to really wrestle with if you have the opportunity to preach, how are you becoming a better preacher? What are you reading? Um, are you working at writing um, and thinking these things out? If, if your dream is to become a preacher, we've given you a list of books to start reading and to start considering but I would say all this even applies to the person sitting in the congregation who is a worshiper, that you don't get to be passive. And this isn't an a la carte thing where you can take and dismiss things, but you come humbly and submit yourself under the word, that you are praying for the preacher, you are praying for the congregation, um, and faithfully doing that as a, as a, as a worshiper. Um, I think there's a sense in which you're, you're thinking and, and wrestling with what the preacher is saying, following, taking notes, uh, uh, amening. Don't be afraid to amen. Amen, Chris? Yeah, amen. <laughs> so I think this is really where my heart is at, is that, that the, the preaching matters in the church, and, and the preacher and the listener should not come to it haphazard, but we should come to it with passion and zeal and readiness. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And you know, it just reminded me just now of uh, something I had heard this last week. Uh, the question was brought up, uh, why in all of Paul's epistles does he begin with grace to you and end with some form of grace be with you? And, you know, and the, the answer to that, I think, is found in that as he writes uh, that word from God to that church, that inspired word is grace to the church. And, and then he concludes with that that grace would be with the church, that uh, in preaching the word, that, uh, that it is in and of itself, the word of God, a means of grace. And 
we often speak of you know the means of grace as you know the sacraments, uh, but the the word of God itself uh, is a means of grace to us, and we need to remember that and remember the high calling that we have been given and the privilege, the terrifying privilege that we have to be able to be those who are called to preach the word. And so I would just encourage all of our listeners to remember that charge there from Second Timothy four. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Amen. Amen. You know, one of the things we haven't hit in this is the role of commentaries. And I, I would, I would, I'd hate to close off our podcast without at least touching on, on, on commentaries. And we mm-hmm. all know there are, there are many different types of commentaries out there. There's the exegetical commentaries, which offer insight into the text. There's homiletical commentaries, which lend towards shaping uh, the text for the pulpit. And there's devotional commentaries, which really have the heart of application as the centerpiece. And all of those commentaries have a place in, in preparing. But none of those should supersede your own wrestling with the word of God. You are a preacher called to a particular body. And this applies even to listening to other sermons or lectures about the particular passage you're going to preach. There's nothing wrong with listening. But the problem is if you're borrowing and and taking and you're not really wrestling, you're not really caring for the sheep God's giving you oversight of. And while these commentaries are good, while listening to sermons are good, listening to lectures are good, it never replaces the word of God preached to God's people in a particular time and place. And I think that's very important that we remember that as God's people, that preaching matters. Don't steal, don't borrow, really dig in. And um, um, I guess borrowing isn't a bad if you give credit. <laughs> so, yeah. but, uh, but, but, but make sure that you're wrestling with God's word first and foremost. Um, I think that's what people need to to know in here so yeah and remember just to remember that the uh, the best commentary on the scripture is the scripture itself amen and uh amen. you know and whatever other tools you use try and use tools that are helping you to see that that are helping you to see how scripture explains scripture sometimes we run up against those super difficult texts yeah. and you know and or maybe it's not even a difficult text but it's difficult to preach and, and you're wondering, how is this going to happen? And so often, I remember just sitting there like with just this, like, I don't know what you call it, preacher's block. Like, I'm just going, I don't know how to bring this passage to the church. And as I continue to read it and study it, the next thing you know, it just, that flower starts to blossom. And suddenly this text just opens up and I'm going, oh, man, there is such a word here for the church. And, you know, I really believe the Holy Spirit uh, grants us that. And uh, it's such an amazing thing. Uh, and so just remember the, cent- the centrality and sufficiency of Scripture, yeah. the, the power of the gospel, and that there is no better interpreter of the Scripture than the Scripture you know, whatever you're preaching, don't just make sure you're consistent within those few words or even that verse or that chapter, but the whole of Scripture itself, that uh, that you're presenting Christ from wherever you're at. Yeah. 
And I, and I think just to kind of one last piece we haven't really talked about that's important. We've talked about your development and all this, all the steps that come into that. But at the end of the day, when you, when you have that done and you've done due diligence, um, you know, you you don't be afraid to practice that sermon. Stand in front of a mirror. Stand in front of your your family and 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 walk through it. I think that's important. Um, and we should always continually be growing and being being willing to be learners. Um, I've been preaching for well over twenty years. I still um, get nervous when I enter the pulpit um, in a good way. Um, yeah. I I I pray before I preach. I pray after I preach. I pray the entire time I'm preaching, um, and I want to be a better preacher. I want to keep learning and keep growing, and I keep applying different aspects. Um, one of the things that struck me about the book Ministering Like the Master, which is the most recent book that I've read, he talks a lot about the importance of asking questions in your sermon, questions that don't have to be answered verbally, but that the, the listener can be, be asking themselves uh, as, they, as, they, as they walk through or hear you preach the sermon. And those little nuances that you begin to take, I have started really applying that to my sermons recently, and I've been amazed at how many people said, man, it's got me thinking. I'm asking that question all week. I'm like, wow, why, mm-hmm. why haven't I done this sooner? Be a learner. Be willing to submit and, 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 and grow. And that's, that's what it means to be a student and to come humbly and to submit to the role because we understand this is the primary calling of, of the gospel minister is preaching. And guard, yeah, amen. guard your study time. <laughs> I, I, I work with a lot of young preachers, and I always say my sermon preparation does not start on Saturday night. My sermon preparation starts on Monday or even Sunday night from the previous week. Yeah. And, I, and I start to wrestle through that text and just reading it over again, over again, listening to it. I can't stress that enough. There is nothing more important you can do than prepare your sermon and preach um, your sermon to your flock. So, Yeah, yeah, I agree. And uh, it, it really does begin on Monday. Uh, you know, I would begin on Monday, you know, I'll be listening to to other sermons on that and where other pastors have gone with it. I start getting into commentaries. I'm reading through books, you know, and, you know, then by the time, you know, Thursday starts rolling around Friday, I'm thinking, OK, I know where I want to go with this passage and what I want to preach. And I, I start putting down my manuscript and, uh, you know, it's an all week thing. And one other thing, if I might throw in something quickly here, Keep going, uh, man. Well, one other thing I would recommend uh, pastors is that you listen to your own sermons. Yeah, it's painful. Uh, it's painful. It's painful. <laughs> but if it's painful for you, uh, <laughs> well, you know where I'm going. Uh, well, listen, if you listen to your own sermon, something's going to happen. You're going to catch things that you do that are distracting uh, and, and perhaps you're going to say, you know, I, maybe I should have said it this way. This would have actually been clearer than what I ended up saying. And you're going to be able to hone that to where you're a clearer communicator. Uh, you know, I remember as an example, there was one time I was listening to a sermon I had preached and I don't know what it was, but for some reason I kept saying the word now. And it was a transitional phrase and it, I started realizing it started sticking out like a sore thumb. I must have said it like 50 times. 
and I just now, now, now. And I realized that is so distracting. And so it, it made me go back and consciously say, I am not going to say that. Hmm. And, you know, that was just one little thing I picked up in a, a particular message that I had done. And so I would recommend listening to your own sermons. Yeah. And, and we all have those little uh, safety words that we use all the time that make us kind of comfort words that make us feel comfortable um, in our preaching, but they can become annoying <laughs> and mm -hmm. we all have habits. And I'll tell you, my wife is a great critiquer of my sermon. She'll tell me when I blew it, you know, <laughs> she'll tell me, <laughs> she'll tell me, no, I thought the point came across and I trust her. And I, and we've built that rapport when she'll give me a thumbs up or, Hey, kind of a thumb sideways, like, Hey, you know, yeah. and it, and it's interesting. The thing that, that she's able to list, you know, explain to me that I've done well, or I haven't are things that I knew in my spirit I was struggling with and I, and I needed to, to know more work needs to be applied. So the next week I'm the beautiful thing about being regular, uh, regularly in the pulpit is I get, you get another week at it. The, the, the yeah. scary thing is there's always homework. <laughs> there's yeah, always a yeah. term paper due. But but if you're planning and you're taking care and you're and you're working to be a better preacher uh, and you're praying, I mean, he who he who desires wisdom, all he needs to do is ask. And yep. and and the Lord is with us and guiding us and directing us. And and uh, but but there is a lot of helps out there that we can use and tap into. Uh, there's no reason to be a lazy, bad preacher. Yeah, it's interesting that just yesterday I was realizing that uh, a few years ago on a Good Friday, I preached a message on Christ as our sacrifice. And from the same exact sermon, I had one person tell me it was the worst sermon they had ever heard. Hmm. And I had another person tell me it was the best sermon they had ever heard. <laughs> I kid you not. <laughs> Those were different people, though, right? It wasn't different. No, different people, Total, different people. And, you know, I look back on it now and I just kind of laugh and say, you know, you, you can't judge your preaching just by feedback that you're getting. Um, ultimately, Christ and his word have to be the judge of our preaching. And uh, and that's why I do recommend, you know, listening to it yourself and, you know, recognize, are you communicating what you communicating? Are you communicating clearly? Uh, are you missing the point? Are you rabbit trailing too much? Uh, are you keeping the big picture, the big picture? Are you gospel centered? Are you, you know, sidetracking into moralism? Are you, you're missing uh, the the gospel in there. Uh, there, you know, you want to make sure that that is the case because uh, just what you're hearing from people, uh, a lot of times, I'm uh, apparently I had a very brutally honest uh, critique of my sermon, and someone willing to tell me that was the worst sermon I ever heard, uh, but. Most of the time, you're always going to have people at the door saying, oh, great sermon, Pastor. Great sermon. Yeah. Whether it was or it wasn't, it wasn't. is a different story. <laughs> usually your wife will be honest with you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. You can usually trust them to uh, to let you know exactly where you stood. So kind of as we close this up, I'm just going to take us through um, kind of a quick sketch of what your sermon preparation should look like. Uh, this all comes from H.B. Charles' book. Again, I'm not pushing any one of these. We're not paid by any one of these yep. groups to do that. <laughs> but um, these all have blessed me in different ways. And just I think his is pretty concise. Um, he says, pray. Pray over the text. Pray over yourself. Pray over your congregation. Read. Read the text. Listen to it being read. Use several different translations in your study. Observe. Observe the task 
text by asking these types of questions. What is it saying? What does it mean? How does it apply? How does it relate to other scripture? Review, review key words and theological issues, study word meanings, grammar, usage, explore the theological truths that are being stated or the theological um, issues that may be arising out of this text. Um, explore um, uh, the, the, the work as a matter, as, as, as a, sorry, explore the text and the theological keywords and and the theological issues. Survey. Survey the commentaries and additional sources such as sermons and lessons that are available um, through even the digital media. Take advantage of the many resources, both paper and digital, right? Uh, Don't let these take place of your message and your own thinking and your own preparation, but they can can help. And he, he brings up a good point. I wouldn't do this, and this is true in my own preparation. I don't do this till I already have a clear direction where I'm going. Now I look at these commentaries and these other individuals so that they're clouding my mind hold that off until till much later uh finally he says begin to your as you're working you're developing the sermon and the and this is what you're doing you're 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 making a sermon skeleton you're picking a title you're identifying the doctrinal theme of the message uh you're stating the point or the thesis or the big idea of the sermon in a single sentence take time to write it out and making it crystal clear uh chris touched on that work through objects of your sermon the, the points that i'm making uh, what do i want my hearers to think feel or do what am i calling them to is another way to say that craft your outline and then recraft it and recraft it again write out your transitional sentences so that you're making sure that you're connecting the points in their clear way that you're connecting them. Uh, and then begin to put all that structure together in a systematic way. Next, he says you begin to write it out word for word. Um, and he says this word for word manuscript will help you think thoroughly and fully develop all your ideas. And yet you then prepare from that word for word manuscript a brief set of notes that you'll take to the pulpit uh, from your manuscript. He says these notes should be a pared down version, not the complete manuscript. Um, mm. So I just I, I think there's a lot of help in there. I know I stumbled over some of that, but you guys can stop and fast forward, rewind over all my mess ups. But I think there's just a good order line, order structure to that. Um, gave you a list of books. Um, hopefully this podcast was helpful. If not, um, sorry, <laughs> but this yep. is something we're we're passionate about anyway. <laughs> Amen. And guys, uh, as we've wrapped up here for today. If you've enjoyed the Confessional Collective podcast, I want to encourage you guys to check out the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Uh, We are a part of that, and there's a lot of other great podcasts out there that you can check out. And I also wanted to let you guys know about a conference that's coming up. Uh, That is the uh, Wrath and Grace 2018 conference, and uh, that is going to be coming up here soon. You can check that out at wrathandgrace.com. And uh, wanted to give a shout out to those guys as well. But that is it for us for today. So, uh, Aaron, you have a good week. All you guys have a good week out there. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Confessional Collective Podcast. For more information and resources, please visit confessionalcollective.com. And be sure to like our Facebook page.